All right. Second Kings. Yeah. <laughs> Last week, Ryan preached about whether or not you could trust the Old Testament. Guess where we're starting tonight? In the Old Testament. Isn't that right? Second Kings. We're going to look at Second Kings chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6, and we're going to go back and catch an Old Testament story, and then we're going to jump off. If I say all the verses in my sermon tonight, there's over 75 verses. So let me tell you, you got two possibilities. Either I say them all and we're here for a while, or I say some of them and we go home in a while. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. We're looking at 2 Kings chapter 6, and the Bible talks about the captain of host, Naaman, and that's a great story, but we're not going to read that guy right there. All right, go down a little bit further, and the Bible says, um, let me see here, where do we want to take take off in here. Let me see. Oh, it helps if you get in the right chapter. I'm in chapter 5. Look at verse 8. You got it? All right. Now, let me tell you what's going on. You have a group of people called the Syrians. Your King James Bible calls them Syrians. I think correctly, they're probably Armenians. I think it's the next group up. And they're coming south. They were just above Syria. And, and they're coming down and they're doing guerrilla warfare on Israel, okay? And the Bible says, then the king of Syria, his name was Ben-Hadad II, for those of you that care. But anyways, that's who he was. He said, he warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, in such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king, the man of God there is Elisha, all right? He sent to the king of Israel, and he said, be, beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. Uh, and the king of Syria, Israel sent to the place where the man of God told him and warned them, warned him of. And he saved himself there, not once nor twice. It goes on. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled from this thing. He calls his servants. He said to them, he said, uh, which guys, who's the mole? Who's the spy? That's what he's asking. And the Bible says, one of the servants said, none, Lord. He said, the king, but Elisha, the, the prophet of, in, down there in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. This guy, God is letting this guy listen into your most secret plans. And the guy says to him, he says, go find out where he's at. And so if you look at your Bible, they come back and they say, he's in a place called Dothan. Now, let me help you something. That is not Dothan, Alabama. All right? If you, look at your, if you look at your map, you got one of these maps that looks like this. Remember this? And at, the, at this particular map, it's the map of all the different tribes. If you look and find Dothan, Dothan is right between, oh, let me see here. It's right around below Nazareth, and it's right there on top of a town called Samaria. Dothan is right there on your map, okay? So you got, two, you got two kingdoms. You got the southern two tribes. You got the northern ten tribes. Dothan's a little bit above Samaria where the king had his, his palace. And so uh, he sends down there an army to take care of the man of God. That's the mole telling him the plans of the Syrian army. Now, we're down to about verse number 14. And then he sent down horses and chariots and great hosts, and they came by night, and they compassed the city about. Now, let me illustrate. How many of you keep up with, with the times? Do you keep up with what's going on? Do you, do you look around? What's one of the things that's happening? They said today that the Iranians possibly have boarded their third tanker and stole their third tanker. By the way, they're itching for somebody to kick their buns. And they better look out because they, they may have a bun kicker in the White House. You listen to me? Now, I hate for that to happen. I don't want that to happen. But how would you feel, let's say, that, that uh, you one day wake up and you got Iranian speedboats all around the tanker that you're riding on, and there's a drone flying over, and there's planes... And there's all kinds of people, 
And all of a sudden you open your eyes and you're surrounded by all these Iranian troops and tanks and all this kind of stuff. And they all got their guns pointed at you. Would that be scary? Yes or no? Yeah. Well, the story in this one is this servant of the Lord, he goes out of his house. He gets up early. I think the prophet's still in the rack. I think Elisha's sleeping in. He's about, you know, <laughs> sawing logs. And, and, and he goes out there and he looks and all of these Armenian troops are surrounding him with chariots. This guy sends his whole host of army down for, for one dude, Elisha. Now, how many of you would be upset maybe just to touch? He goes in there and he wakes up the man of God and he says, hey man, we're in trouble. They've surrounded us. We're going to die. And the Bible says, if you look at it, the scripture says, when the servant of the man was risen early, gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas. It's always a dis word of despair. There's four alasses in the Bible. You study them out. Go home and look it up. And there's four times out and it's always despair. It's always, man, the goose is cooked. And we, we're the goose, okay? And it goes on and it says, Elisha, Elisha, uh, verse 16, it says, and he answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. By the way, write in your Bible right there, write Psalm 34, 7. Write Psalm 34, 7. If you haven't read that verse recently, you need to look that one up, and I'm going to read it to you. Listen to what this verse says. Psalm 34 and verse number 7 says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Is that a great verse? Now, you're seeing a real live illustration of that verse in progress. That one, that one is what's going on. The man of God gets up, wipes the sleepies out of his eyes, throws his robe on, he walks outside, and this guy's shaking in his boots, and he prays for him. Look at the verse. The Bible says, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, Look at that. Behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And the next verse says, And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite the people, I pray thee, with blindness. Zap! Them dudes are smited. They're all blind. And he he basically says, what do we do now? And he says, I'll lead you home. And he leads them over to the king of Israel. And he's got this whole army with him. And he says, all right. The king says, what do you want me to do with him? Let me kill him. Let me kill him. Let me kill him. Let me kill him. Go read the rest of the story. He says, no. He said, feed him. Feed him. And then we'll send him home. You say, why would he feed him? Because Oriental custom says anybody that you save their life, they owe you. And anybody you take in and feed when they're hungry, they owe you. By the way, God did with one little, those two little acts more than any army could ever do with a sword. And for the rest of the time, the Syrians never bothered the Jews again. Because they owed them. Now, my story tonight is those guys on those fiery chariots. I almost wanted to get that music. <laughs> chariots of fire. And, and see that guy running down the beach. <laughs> yes or no? Yeah, you like it? That's pretty cool. And, and, and then also, you know, wouldn't that be cool? All right, let's, let's kind of jump in here tonight. T tonight we're going to talk about this question. Do angels and demons really exist? Now, I got two ways I'm going to go with this. So we're going to talk about the good angels, and then we're going to talk about the bad angels. And we're going to call the good angels elect angels. And the reason we call them that is 1 Timothy 5.21 talks about elect angels. All right? So that's where we're going to start off where we're just going to use Bible terminology. Is that all right? Think that'll work? So we'll talk about... 
elect angels. And so we're going to start off with understanding elect angels. In the Bible, angels make over 300 appearances. The ones we're most familiar with is around Jesus being born. Would you agree with that? You got shepherds who watch their flocks by night and all of a sudden the angels show up. Remember that? And they, they begin to talk and begin to, you know, sing all those Christmas hymns that we sing. No, <laughs> you don't believe that, do you? So anyways, angels in the Bible are created spiritual be beings with individual existences and personalities and very intelligent, high intelligence. Now, let's answer some questions. Who created angels? I'm going to run down through the... Are these on your notes by any chance? Okay. Who created angels? Psalm 148, verse 2. Psalm 148, verse 5 says God created them. Praise him, all you, his angels. Praise him, all the hosts. For he commanded and they were created. God created the angels. Now, it was a one-time deal. God created all of them at the same time. There's not a great angel factory in the sky. So if you think there's somehow little baby angels popping out every once in a while, God did it in one fell swoop. All of that are going to be created, are created, and God did the creating, according to Psalm 148. Now, when were angels created? Well, Job gives you an idea. I can't pinpoint it exactly, but Job 38 verses 4 through 7 says that angels were witnesses when the world was created. In fact, the scripture says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations and all the angels shouted for joy? So angels were created sometime before Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and following. So angels were created in eternity past. Scripture doesn't really point that out, but we know that when God created the heavens and the earth, the angels clapped, the angels shouted, the angels said, good job. And it was so. So, uh, second, third one would be, how many angels were created? Hebrews 10, 20, or 12.22 says they're innumerable. Daniel 7, verse 10 refers to the thousand. Uh, 10,000 times 10,000, which, by the way, if you do the math, is 100 million. That's a few. Would you agree with that? Uh, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11 says, myriads upon myriads. That's, we'd say it today, millions upon millions. So there's a bunch of angels. There's a bunch of them. Um, do angels have wings? That's a good question. Well, to be honest with you, we know that some of them do. Isaiah chapter 6 talks about seraphims. The word seraphim, by the way, means burning ones. And the Bible says with two they cover their feet, with two they cover their face, and with two they fly. So that gives them six wings. Do, do all angels have six wings? Well, sometimes in the Bible when they appear, I don't think they have wings at all. They look like the appearance of a man. And I don't know any of us in this room that have problems pushing our wings down, get our jackets. Some of us might comb our hair to get it over the horns. Come on, did you get my joke? All right. So do they have wings? Some do, some don't. That's the best question, answer I can give you. How about this one? Do angels have names? Well, in the Bible, only two do. Michael and Gabriel. Now, I'm sure others may have names, but the Bible doesn't list that, so it would be speculation for me to say more than two. But for sure, two have names, all right? What about this one? Do good angels still have a free will? Well, it's difficult to be dogmatic about that, but it's likely after late Lucifer's uprising in heaven, we'll talk about that more in a little bit, when one-third of the angels left with him, the good angels remained committed to do God's will. And I base all of that off of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. I think those are the elect angels. I think God knew that Lucifer would do what he was going to do. I think he knew that a third of the angels would follow after him and two-thirds would be left. And I think those are the elect angels that God knew before the beginning of time, before he ever created angels. So there are elect angels. Now, here's one that I like. Will you, will you listen to this just for a second? Will you really hear this? Because I do, I do a lot of funerals. I've gone to more funerals than all of you. Trust me. 
I've gone to a bunch. And I heard them sing a song at this last funeral I did. And they said that when they went to heaven, they got wings and now they're angels. That's baloney. We don't become angels when we go to heaven. Now, if that's news to you, you need to listen to what I'm fixing to say, okay? Do we become angels when we die? That's a common belief in our culture. We'll say something like, well, heaven gained another angel. There is absolutely no biblical basis for this. Human beings are made in the image of God. They're unique And we don't change into being something other than what we are when we get to heaven. I know this is going to freak you out, but I'm planning on going to heaven. (laughs) And I plan on being filled when I get there. Minus a few imperfections. Some of you say, you're a few thousand. I like the answer that Nancy Guthrie suggests when she says somebody tries to comfort you in the loss of a loved one, saying that they've become an angel. Here's what she says. Oh, I'm grateful to know that my loved one is in heaven, but of course, she hasn't become an angel. Angels are their own created order. Humans don't become angels when they die, but she's with the angels in heaven doing what everyone else there does, and that's to worship Christ. That's a great answer. That's the right answer. Okay? Now, what are the activities of angels? Well, I could list and list and list stuff. So we're not going to do that. We're going to boil it down to four major deals that they do. First of all, when we talk about their activities, they worship. They worship. Their primary responsibility, according to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, is to praise God. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all of their hosts, and the earth, and all the things that are in the seas, and all that's therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worships you a great verse. You say, Pastor, what do angels do in heaven? They worship God. They worship God. Think about Revelation chapter 5 verse 11 says, I beheld, I heard the voices of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that's slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, all of them heard I saying, blessings and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and under the lamb forever and ever. And the Bible says the four beasts said amen and the four and 24 elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. You say, Pastor, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? Same thing everybody does. We're going to worship the Lord. Here's the next one. We're going to work. What do, what do angels do? They work. The word angel means messenger. Both the Greek language and the Hebrew language, it means messenger. Different words, different language, but both have the same meaning. Angels are messengers. They obediently carry out God's plan. The Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 20, Blessed be the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones that do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those that inherit salvation? There are times you'll see in the Bible where angels help God's children. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 5, an angel appears to Elijah when he's fleeing from Jezebel and he ministers to him. He cooks him food and says, take a nap. Man, that's the angel I want God to send to me. <laughs> Eat some more and sleep some more. What great therapy that would be. Come on, smile at me. Some of you don't smile about much, do you? 
When you talk about angels, angels work. I like what Billy Graham often says. He says, believers look up. Take courage. The angels are nearer than you think. I was reading this story today, and I ran it off. I want you to listen to it in the in the Times past, Billy Graham shared the story of a, celebra a celebrity neurologist named S.W. Mitchell. The Philadelphia doctor had gone to bed early after an exhausting day when suddenly he was awakened by a loud knock at his door. When he opened it, he found a little girl standing there, poorly dressed, deeply distressed, and she explained that her mother was sick and she needed to see a physician immediately and begged the good doctor to come with her. It was cold, it was snowy, but the weary doctor got up, got dressed, and followed the little girl to her house just a few blocks away. And when he arrived, Dr. Mitchell found the mother desperately ill with pneumonia. After arranging for medical care, he complimented the sick woman on the persistence of her little girl. The woman looked at him strangely and then said, my only daughter died a month ago. She added her shoes and her coats are right there in the closet. Dr. Mitchell, amazed and confused, went to the closet, opened the door, and there hung the very coat worn by that little girl who had come for him to attend to her mother. It was warm, it was dry, and could not have been possibly worn on that winter cold night. When Billy Graham shared this story, he concluded by saying, he said, could the doctor who had called in the hour of desperate need by be an angel that appeared to be that little daughter? And I think his point was, yeah. Angels are ministers. They work. They worship. Listen to this. They, they walk. While angels are normally invisible, the Bible says, the angel of the Lord encumps about those who fear him, and he delivers them. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 2, it tells us there are times when angels take on human forms. Scripture says, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Isn't that interesting? One of the reasons we're called to be nice to those we don't know is because it could be that person is an angel. We have some of our missionaries here tonight. I'll tell this story. Billy Graham probably told this story to Chuck Swindoll, but I heard it from Chuck Swindoll. He talked about one particular time a missionary was out on deputation, raising support, going from place to place, and went to a church that was way far from his house and he had to make a huge drive home, hours, all night long. And as he rode along in the car by himself, he began to pray and he said, Lord, he said, could you please give me somebody to talk to? And he said, it was raining that night. And he said, there stood in the rain a man by the side of the road hitchhiking and so he pulled over and he knew it had to be of God because that's what he was praying about. So he picked this man up and they got in the car and they drove along and he said they began to talk. And it was obvious this man knew something about the Lord. It was obvious that he was intimate. And he said they drove along and he said we had such great fellowship. He said the time, the miles just sped by. And he said it's about the breaking of day. And he looked at this man that was in his car next to him. He said, we need to stop and get a cup of coffee. And so they stopped and got a cup of coffee and they got back in the car and they drove a little bit and the man said, this is where I get off. And he dropped him off and off he went. He drove for a while and then he thought to himself, he said, you know what, I'd like to talk to him. I want to thank him for riding with me. Man, he made the time go by so quick. And he turned around and he went and it hadn't been two, three minutes, and the guy was gone. And so he backtracked. He thought maybe he went back to that diner where we stopped and got that cup of coffee, and he went in there, and he went inside, and he said, hey, did that guy come in that was with me? 
And he said, sir, what are you talking about? He said, well, we were in here about 15 minutes ago, and he said, uh, we both got a cup of coffee. And he said, sir, he said, it was the strangest thing. He said, you came in by yourself, and we gave you two cups of coffee, but there was only one person. He said he got back in the car, and he felt over there where that man had been sitting who'd been rained on that night, and he felt that seat, and there was absolutely no moisture whatsoever on that seat, and he said, I think I've entertained an angel. Interesting. You say, well, Pastor, I don't believe in that. Well, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I don't know what to say. Sorry. I don't think Chuck Swindoll's a liar. Scripture says we can entertain angels unaware. It's quite possible to be face-to-face -face with an angel and not even know it. Look at the person next to you just for a second. Stare at them. Look at them. Some of you are saying, no. I know that person. That's not an angel. That's a devil. <laughs> Some of you ain't going to look. You ain't got to look because you ain't got no hair on your chest. I ain't looking. My wife, she'll, she'll chew me all the way home if I look right now. What else do angels do? Come on, it's, you ought to enjoy going to church, shouldn't you? I do. Sorry about you, but anyways. What else do angels do? They war. They war. Let's talk about that. You know, uh, most of us, I think, have the wrong, the wrong mental image of angels. We think of fat little chubby kids flying around with a bow. <laughs> Shooting you with the love. <laughs> yes or no? no? Some of us, that's the way we think of angels. We think of Valentine's Day, and that's all we get. <laughs> well, you know, when you study the scriptures, you know one thing that's always consistent about angels? The first words out of their mouth always are this, fear not. You ever notice that? Every time they appear in the Old Testament, they always say, fear not. Why? Because it scares the ibijibis out of the people that are there. Yeah. People are always afraid. You say, Pastor, why are they afraid? Well, if you read the scripture, 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, it says, It came to pass that night, the angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of the Assyrians, a hundred and fourscore and five thousand, 185,000 soldiers, and they rose up early in the morning, and behold, they were all dead corpses. One angel, one angel killed 185,000 soldiers. No wonder they say fear not. Man, that's pretty dynamic. I'll guarantee you the Pentagon loved to get a hold of that dude. Yeah. Revelation chapter 12, verse number 7, describes the, fur, uh, the, the, the future fur, fury, I'm having a hard time tonight, fury of the righteous wrath of our holy God. It says, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Listen to that. And the Bible says, the dragon fought with his angels, and he prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And that old serpent was cast out, the Bible says. Isn't that amazing? So they war. All right, got to move on. What are some cautions? When we talk about angels, what are some cautions we need to know? First of all, number one, don't put angels above the Bible. Don't put angels above the Bible. While angels deliver messages from God, they never contradict what God's word says. And if an angel ever contradicts the word of God, recognize he's not an elect angel. He's a demon. He's working on the other side. So don't put angels above the Bible. Here's the second one. Don't worship angels. Good angels never draw attention to themselves. They command our attention, but they're not for, there for their sake. They're there for God's sake. They always say, hey, don't you worship me. They always, consistently in the scriptures, you'll never see an angel ever take any worship. They'll never do it. They always say, hey, you worship God. I'll give you another one. Don't 
Worship angels. Angels are not to be prayed to. The only thing I can ever find in the scripture, Daniel chapter 10 says an angel came with an answer to prayer and he was restrained for 21 days. But we don't pray to angels. We pray through Christ to God. If you come on Wednesday night, I've been teaching Romans chapter 5. We have an introduction to God. We now stand in grace and now we have access, access to God through Christ, right? Well, don't worship them. Don't put angels above the Bible. Don't pray to them. Here's the last one. Angels never replace Jesus. Jesus is always center stage. Angels are just the supporting cast. Referring to what Jesus accomplished and how people respond to the gospel, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 says, angels peer into the saint's salvation. They, they look at our salvation. By the way, angels are not saved. They're not redeemed. And they want to understand what salvation is, so they look at Christians trying to figure out what is this great thing they possess that we don't called salvation. So angels never replace Jesus. The Bible says things into which angels long to look. As powerful and wonderful as angels are, they're inferior in their position. Listen to this. To Jesus Christ and his saints. Now look around. Who's saints in here tonight? You're either a saint or you ain't. Right? If you're a saint, they serve us. Whoa, pastor's lost it. All right, let's look at, it. Let's look at evil angels. Boy, I got to hustle it up. Understanding evil angels. Who are the demons? Simply put, demons are angels that sinned against God and continually work to do evil in the world. Scripture says there's two kinds of angels. There's ones that are free and about doing the thing, the bidding of Satan, and there's a group, the Bible says, that are bound. They're bound in a place called the abyss, or in the book of Revelation, it's called the bottomless pit, Okay. Now, 2 Peter 2, 4 said, God didn't spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. David Jeremiah says it this way. He says, some demons are fallen and imprisoned. There are others that are fallen and free. That's great words, great words. So if you look back, let me kind of help you. God made so many angels. Remember me saying that? There's not an angel factory in the sky. So he makes so many angels. There, the Bible seems to indicate from Revelation chapter 12 that when Satan was kicked out of heaven, that his tail drew out with him a third of those angels. So two-thirds of the angels are good. One-third of the angels are bad. How many of your father am I uh, following my math here? Now, Scripture says, I don't know the exact percentage, but some of those angels, that third that followed after Satan, some are bound in chains and some are free and walking about. Now, it could be 50-50, so maybe half of them are chained. You say, Pastor, what's going to happen to those chained angels? Well, the book of Revelation talks about there comes a time when God releases them during the Great Tribulation. And they come out and they got this weird looking body like a, like a scorpion. And they got hair like women and teeth like a tiger or a lion. And the Bible says they come out and they sting people. Kind of weird. I could take you to some weird passages in the Old Testament, the book of Job and the book of Ezekiel, and we could actually look, and the Bible begins to describe very graphically what they begin to morph How's that for a good word? What they begin to morph into. I tell you what, you want to scare the snot out of somebody? You let God take them down to hell where he's put them in the bottomless pit and look at what happened to them rascals since the fall of Satan. Who knows before when? Scary deal there. That would be a Hollywood movie. I promise you that would be. Well, 
The two places that you need to be familiar with, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah chapter 14. Ezekiel 28, if you look at verse 2, it says there's a scene that played out in heaven a long time ago. And the Bible talks about, because thine heart was lifted up and thou said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas, yet you're a man and not God, who set thy heart as the heart of God. Verse 8 says, that they shall bring thee down to the pit. You get to that verse 14, it says, we're given more evidence that this isn't just a prince. It says, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Now, look up here just for a second. Let me try to help you. I'm not doing good on my time, sorry. Yeah, I know. By the time your buns go to sleep, your brain will quit working, I promise you. Um, God has different levels. You have archangels, guardian angels, yes or no? Are there different kinds of angels? Yeah. I think there's angels, now this is what I think. I think there are angels that God dispatches when we die that come and get us, take us home. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, go back and read the Gospel of Luke again. The Bible says angels carried Lazarus to Abraham's bosom. So says. She's going to have to hit several to lift me. <laughs> the top angels were cherubs. In the, in the book of Ezekiel, the Bible says there were different sides of their face. Their head, one looked like an ox, one looked like a man, one looked like an eagle. You read all that thing down through there. I believe when it says that this cherub was the cherub the anointed cherub that covered. I personally believe that Satan was the most beautiful angel that God ever created. He was the covering angel of the throne of God. Now, can I help you something? God's not going to be sitting there looking like Phil on a throne. God is a spirit. And the Bible says that God is light. And in God, there's no darkness. So when we get to heaven, what you're going to see when you look at God is you're going to see a a light, an aura of light because God is holy. Now, if you see God, you're going to see his son. Are you listening? But I believe that in heaven, the light of God, the glory of God is a light. And Satan, the Bible says, he had these wings which had all these beautiful, precious stones and he would spread his wings above heaven and the light of God would shine through those sapphires and diamonds and rubies and all of those beautiful stones. And it was almost like a laser light show. But there came a time when Satan wasn't satisfied with being the angel that covered the throne of God that reflected the very glory of God. He said, I want to have my throne above God's throne. And so God kicked him out of heaven. Some of you are going, whoa. Whoa, I don't know about all that. Go back and read it. Go back and read it. Scripture talks about it in, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. The Bible says, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will sin unto heaven, I will exalt my heart throne above the stars of God, that's the angels. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north. I will ascend upon the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I don't know if you count that, I will, I will, I will. You say, Pastor, what was his problem? He was proud. That was his sin. When you get into the scripture, Lucifer is called Satan. Jesus called him Satan in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. He's called the devil, Matthew 4, verse 1. He's called the serpent, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. He's called Beelzebub in Matthew 10 and 28. He's called the ruler of the world in John 12, 31. He's called the evil one in Matthew 13, 19. He's called the prince and the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2. Revelation chapter 12, it lists several names. It says, and the great dragon was cast out the old serpent, which is called the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast on the earth and his demons, his angels were cast out with him. That one verse has five different names for Satan. Isn't that amazing? 
You say, why does he have so many names? Because you can't describe how evil he is with one name. You got to get a bunch of names to tell you what kind of guy he is. So that's what the Bible does. Now, what do demons do? I'll give them to you real quick. Number one, they attack the person of God. They attack the person of God. When you read of Satan's number one desire, he said, I will make myself like the most high. And since his plan didn't work, he was cast out from the presence of God. And since that time, him and his demons relentlessly attack the person of God. He lies about God. What did he do in the garden? His biggest lies were about the biggest subject, God. God's holding out on you. You can't trust God. He ain't telling you the truth. That's what he was saying. They attack the purposes of God. The devil and his demons are diametrically opposed to everything that God's accomplishing today. And when referring to his derailed plans to visit the church, the apostle Paul says this. He said, I wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered me. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Satan ever hinders us? Come on, this is a yes. This is a no. Do you think Satan ever hinders us? Absolutely. They attack the people of God. This plan is different from the first two. When demons assault the person and purposes of God, they do it very boldly. But when they attack the people of God, they're subtle. He doesn't jump up and say, ta-da, I'm here. Or back in my day, here's Johnny. Demons use a threefold attack. They have a tempting phase. He tempts us. And then he has a deceiving phase. The Bible says the serpent said to the woman, You won't surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Then there's the accusing phase. When the tempting and the deceiving is over, all you got left is the sorrow. All you have left is the accusing. Let me ask you a question. How many in this room have ever been accused by Satan? You say, Pastor, what do you do when Satan attacks you and accuses you? You send the advocate out. His name is Jesus. And the great thing about having an advocate, our advocate never loses. Can I give you a great verse? There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. If you don't have that memorized, you ought to memorize it. Listen to me. There's a difference between the Holy Spirit convicting you and a demon condemning you. You say, how do you know the difference? The Holy Spirit only convicts you of unconfessed sin, sin you haven't dealt with. Demons come along and throw up every sin you ever done in the past and say, how do you like those apples? That's what he does. And most of us are so stupid, we don't recognize who's working on us. And there is a vast difference between the Holy Spirit and Satan. You listening to me? Well, they attack the pursuers of God. Demons and the devil will do all they can do to keep the pursuers of God from making a decision. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know, Pastor, I've been thinking about being saved. Let me tell you what Satan will do to you. He'll come along and say, not tonight. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Satan will say tomorrow. You listening to me? He'll try to convince you you got all the time in the world. You don't need to let that pastor bother you. You don't let, need to let what that pastor's saying get under your skin. You got plenty of time. Sow your wild oats. Have a blast. And when you're old and decrepit and toothless, come to Christ. That's what he says. And the Bible says the God of this world's blinding the minds of unbelievers. Second Corinthians 4.4. 4. Well, what's the battle plan?
Let's take a vote. How many want me to go on a little further? How many want to go home right this minute? Get ready. You can go. If you want to go, go. I'm going to keep on just for a little bit, okay? All right. What's the battle plan? We don't have to be unsettled about the power of the devil. You know, one of the things I love about the story we started with, who is as cool as a cucumber? Well, Elisha gets up, wipes the sleepies out of his eyes, throws his bathrobe on, walks outside, looks around, sees all those Armenian forces out there, and this young man's freaking out. He says, can I pray for you, son? Sure. He said, Lord, open his eyes. Help him to see. And all of a sudden, God opens his eyes, and he says, Shazam, Sergeant Carter! <laughs> Not exactly. But you know what I'm talking about. He says, good night. Look at them, their chariots. And all those angels with their flaming swords drawn. These suckers don't know, but they're in for a real butt whooping. Or something Hebrew, right? We don't have to be unsettled about the power of the devil or his demons. Now, Scripture says that our adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he what? May devour. I was studying this week, and there's four things about the devil being compared to a roaring lion. One of them is this. Lions are incredibly strong. Uh, they weigh approximately 600 pounds. They stand about four foot tall. And by the way, they're 20 times stronger, pound for pound, than a man. 400-pound man's not very strong in comparison to a lion. Would you agree? I'd say also they're insatiably hungry. The Bible says that Satan's prowling about. He's looking for somebody that he might devour. Isn't that amazing? One pastor put it this way. He said, some of us are laying on his dinner plate, and the sound you hear is the licking of his chops. <laughs> some Christians are stupid. Yes or no? Yeah. Lions are intimidatedly scary. A mature lion can roar, and they say a roar of a lion can be heard up to five miles. Wow, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Last one I'd say is lions are intensely territorial. Another reason lions roar is to announce that they're in charge of a territory. And Satan wants us to think that he's in charge. He's not. But he wants you to think he is. So what do we do? We need, number two, to res resist him with our eyes open. Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. What does the Bible say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Ephesians chapter 6. Is that correct? You see... As God's child, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, we're to resist Satan and be firm in our faith. I don't know how true this is, and I hope I never find out, but they say the worst thing you can do if a lion starts to chase you is to run. Yeah. You stand firm. I hope I never find out. <laughs> but be firm in your faith. The Bible says be stable. That's the idea. Let me see here. Let me kind of move along here. Well, look at Revelation chapter 5. We've got to stop in Revelation, all right? I've got to read you some Revelation before we go. Now, the reason I want you to get this is because I read the last couple chapters of the Bible, and I just thought I'd let you know we win. You ever do that with a, with a novel and you can't stand it, so you read the last chapter or see how it all takes place? I, I found out from the last few chapters, we win. We're, we're good. No problem. Okay? Look at Revelation chapter 5, and let's look down, if you would, at verse number 5. The apostle John gives us this message. He said, one of the elders said unto me, weep not. 
Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now, can I help you? The Lord Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the protectorate of Israel. He's from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because he's the ruler and redeemer from the root of David, Jesus Christ will devour his enemies, including Satan. Revelation 5, 6 says the image changes. Look at what it says. Behold, I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb that had been slain, and it had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. These two images couldn't be more jarring. Lambs are weak and lowly and sacrificed for others, and Jesus is both the supreme lion and the sacrificial lamb. And as the lamb, he's standing next to the throne because he's alive and the war has been won. He is the lamb-like lion and the lion-like lamb, and he cries forth, it is finished. And it was a victory-like roar that defeated death and the devil, and by the way, gave us deliverance from all of our sins. Are you listening to me? You say, Pastor, what's the, what's the one thing that we can do on earth that has real impact in heaven? Are you listening to me? Get saved. Did you know the Bible says in Luke 15, verse 10, he says, I tell you, there's more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, I'm a little bit nervous about some of the stuff you said. Well, you want to make heaven have a hoedown good time. Angels say they rejoice. Man, they get with it. They, they don't understand what we got, but they must think it's pretty cool. Because they begin to just cut it loose. You know what I think they do? I can't prove this. But I've lived in Tennessee long enough to know they're clogging. <laughs> when I get to heaven, I'm going to clog with them. Won't that be fun? I'm going to lose so much weight when I get to heaven, I'm going to be a clogger. Not a jogger, a clogger. I'd read the clock. Don't you think that's about the coolest thing you've ever seen on the Grand Ole Opry? Don't you love it? Come on. Some of you like that better than the Grand Ole Opry. The Grand Ole Opry, that's the best thing on there, man. That clogging is dynamite. I think that is great. That don't stir you. Nothing's going to stir you. Would you agree? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us tonight. We're glad we're your child. We're glad we're surrounded by the good guys. Help us to get our eyes open. Help us to see that there are angels dispatched that minister to the saints. Wow, what a fantastic thought. You know, if that's the case, and it is, what could ever happen to me that you and the angels can't handle? What a thought. Lord, help us to leave this place tonight quoting in our hearts 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Help us to realize we're on the winning side. And Lord, as we go home tonight, help us to clog all the way there. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, 